the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Uh, it is a delight, as we do every Monday, to have Brandon Weikert with us, uh, sharing his uh, his thoughts on things domestic, things international. He is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, uh, books on Iran and China in the pipeline, the shadow war, Iran's quest for dis- uh, supremacy, biohacked, China's race to control life. He's a columnist at the Washington Times, the Asia Times, America Greatness, all the important outlets. Brandon, happy Monday. Thanks for being with us as always. And thank you for having me as always. We uh, press on into heading into a new year. Yeah, and I can't tell if we're going to end this one with a whimper or a bang. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's... Maybe I, I didn't mean it this way, but I remember I remember very well. I actually remember very well how we ended 1988, uh, and I, I didn't mean the pun at all. I remember it because I was flying internationally to go study in London for 1989, mm. the, the year of uh, January of 1989, and uh, it was just after the Lockerbie Scotland bombing, Pan Am uh, 107. Yep. Excuse me, 103, Pan Am 103. 103, yeah. yeah and I remember uh, all those Syracuse, particularly Syracuse students uh, on that on that plane. Um, and today they're, they're in the news again because evidently uh, we have, uh, with the FBI, arrested and extradited uh, maybe the third of three people implicated, one Abu Masood. I, I don't know if, if this has any implications in your mind or if it's uh, if, it, if there's any thoughts you want to share about any of this. But I will share this one. I know we didn't take terrorism serious enough in 1980, seriously enough in 1988. I know that. That's for sure. Um, you know, on the one hand, we, we can kind of nod our head and say that America always gets our guy, you know, no matter how long it takes, you know, justice will be. Uh, gotten, but then again, on the other hand, I just you know, is all of this uh, worth the price we paid as it relates to Libya? Yeah. What I mean by that is, you know, Gaddafi was by by far one of the most reprehensible people in that region. Yeah. He was a complete pain in our side. Um, but ultimately, by 2003, he flipped sides yeah. and started doing our bidding. Yeah. And the, Surrendered WMDs, too, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and certainly his intelligence apparatus, which was a very sophisticated, brutal organization, um, he actually turned it against al-Qaeda and their allies in North Africa. Um, and so, in fact, he was ultimately ousted yep. by al-Qaeda elements or, you know, elements sympathetic to that ideology, Islamism, uh, who definitely were not friends of America, as that played out, of course, in the famous or infamous Benghazi. So what I'm getting at is um, the only reason we got these suspects uh, or perpetrators of the the Pan Am attack is because ultimately Gaddafi was removed um, and, uh, you know, their their protection was gone. Mm -hmm. But Ultimately, the price we paid in a, some way was destabilizing North Africa and handing over the region, uh, at least partly, if not fully, to al-Qaeda or pro or sympathetic al-Qaeda elements. And so, yes, it's good that we 
got those guys after 30 plus years, 40 years, um, but not so good if you think about it in terms of the geopolitical cost we paid. Certainly, I would rather have Gaddafi on our side holding Libya together and going after the terrorists rather than whatever the hell we have right now. Yeah, well, I, and, and I'm not sure if anyone really knows, there seems to be competing prime ministers, competing presidents in Libya. I do right. remember when we uh, when we aided the ouster of uh, Gaddafi. That's where the phrase "leading from behind" famously came from in a New Yorker piece. That's right. It had to do Ryan with uh, our entry Ryan into. Y- wrote it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Say that again. Ryan Lizza wrote yes, the article. Yes, 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 yes. That's right. Thank you. I had forgotten that. That's that's exactly right. And uh, that's where that phrase came from. Uh, I guess we were. We, it was a funny thing for the Obama administration to engage in, in a sense, because famously in 2009, gosh, every everything is back in front of us in sharp relief. Famously in 2009, his first year in office, when there were massive protests in Iran, uh, he had made the statement, we will not meddle, Obama did. We, we're not going to meddle with the internal politics of Iran. But he certainly meddled with, as you point out, allies and on their way allies. Libya was trying to become an ally, so he meddled there and ousted him. Uh, Hosni Mubarak of Egypt was an ally. He helped oust Hosni Mubarak to usher in the Muslim Brotherhood, which lasted, uh, right. what, about a year. And then, um, and, and, and he certainly meddled in Israel with lectures on, on what their borders should be and uh, tried to make that uh, contingent on a lot, of, a, a lot of U.S. policy towards Israel. It was a weird kind of upside-down foreign policy, the Obama administration. To our enemies, yeah, we wouldn't meddle. To our allies, we would. Yep. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, 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 this is a, a downstream sort of effect. And again, the upside is we're getting a villain yeah. um, who killed Americans and was a terrorist. The downside is, of course, it's at what cost, yeah. and that is the cost of then we see this, by the way, again playing out. That that Ryan Elizabeth piece was actually specifically um, about Joe Biden. People don't remember this. So they were Ryan Ryan Lizza was actually talking with Biden as vice president in 2011, or maybe it was 2010. Um, but they were talking about the Biden influence on Obama's foreign policy. And that's where I think it was Tony Blinken, who was Biden's national security advisor when he was vice president, who came up with the phrase, well, we're leading from behind. And then that got translated over to Obama loved that. And so he ran with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are seeing the fruits of that foreign policy uh, yet again play out throughout the world, wherein now we have Saudi Arabia uh, pulling away from the United States or being pushed away from the United States by the Biden administration, the same way that the Obama-Biden administration, as you noted, rightly pushed away allies in Egypt under Mubarak, as well as even, and I don't say this lightly, uh, Qaddafi. Yeah. Uh, you know, we threw them under the bus. Yeah. For what? Yeah. For what? Yeah, it, my my understanding, I'm working off memory here, Brandon. My understanding is when Condoleezza Rice was Secretary of State, she was doing a lot to coax Gaddafi towards the U.S., and it was paying off. That was my memory. Oh, yeah. And, until the well, Obama administration came in and blew it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and Condi, when I'm, I, I you know, used to speak with her, not regularly but a few times we've, we've interacted and she told me a story of when she actually flew out to meet Gaddafi in Libya 
And uh, he said that he used to call her, and forgive me, but I thought this was funny. She thought it was funny, too. She, he used to call her his black flower in the White House. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And no, yeah, yeah, so yeah. they had this sort of, you know, Gaddafi liked us, and he was actually doing our bidding. And then that's at the moment when Obama takes over and sort of, you know, gets rid of him. And again, it's good that we got this Lockerbie suspect, supposedly, suspects, but the, the cost was... You know, we overthrew a regime that was keeping order in that part of the world, a regime that was doing our bidding, that did give up weapons of mass destruction, that did do what Saddam wouldn't do, admit uh, weapons inspectors to prove they had given up those weapons, Mm -hmm. and that was using that powerful intelligence and counterterrorism apparatus uh, on our behalf. And all of that went away the moment that Gaddafi was overthrown. And that's a real tragedy. Do you ever worry? I mean, I was just kind of thinking about the opening of how we opened this conversation. um, End of 1988 um, with the uh, the Lockerbie bombing. Uh, Do you ever worry about whether we're we're maybe not taking terrorism seriously enough? We're talking about global power dynamics an awful lot with China, Saudi Arabia, Iran and stuff like that. Are are we taking our eye off the ball of, of, uh, of, of particularly global Islamist terrorism? Um, I think that's a certainty. Okay. Um, and I think that ultimately, uh, just, you know, the, the, the thing is, we have been able, um, because of the persistent fighting we've done, we have been able to kind of, you know, bust up um, these, these, um, these terrorist plots before they really start to materialize or metastasize. The, the, the problem now is that um, we are really shifting away from the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, we're handing it off to China. If Mm -hmm. you remember, China, um, a year ago or less than a year ago, was caught red-handed selling precision-guided missiles to Iran and offering the same equipment to Saudi Arabia, uh, kind of beefing up both sides of this shadow war that's dominating uh, the Middle East, destabilizing it even further. So my point is is that, um, you know, we are taking our eyes off the Islamist threat, um, and it will come back to bite us, especially as we sort of hit the chicken switch and flee the region in a way that is unbecoming. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for taking a step back and sort of trying not to be involved on a daily basis because it is very draining, and we do have other threats to worry about, but at the same time, we should do it in a way that is disciplined and not going to empower our enemies by making them think that we're weak or we're giving up because yeah. we're not. Yeah, I think so we that, sent that, that is- wrong message, certainly with the Taliban. i got to take a break, Taliban in Afghanistan. Let me let me come back on that. I mean, if nature abhors a vacuum, as Spinoza said, I've always thought terrorists thrived in them. We'll pick up on that, that with Brandon Weikert when we come right back. Seth Leibson's show, Brandon Weikert, is our guest, among other things. He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he spells his name. Brandon, sometimes these actions that uh, that we observe, ab- actions we take, absence, actions we may not take through nonfeasance where we should have taken them, it takes a few years to see them kind of play out or suss out. And I think it was pretty clear in the closing days of uh, 88. We didn't want to deal with uh, everything that we learned about and from uh, the Lockerbie bombing. I think it's pretty clear 
We didn't take the first World Trade Center bombing very uh, seriously. I think it's pretty clear at the end of mm, what was it? End of 2000. We didn't want to take the USS Cole thing too seriously. Um, and right now, I mean, there's any number of things we could put our eyes upon to uh, to, uh, to to look upon and, and say we're not taking it seriously enough. I'm still thinking the Taliban, uh, the surrender to the Taliban in Afghanistan is is one that's going to have, uh, shall we say, negative dividends. Well, certainly it already has from a geopolitical angle. I mean, the Taliban are the first thing they did even before we were totally gone was they started cutting deals with China uh, for those rare earth minerals to get us you know, out and to give give some kind of financial support and independence to the fledgling Taliban regime that has now taken over. So already on a sort of geostrategic level, we are being harmed by this. Um, I have spoken to multiple people, uh, multiple Afghans, many of them refugees. Um, not all of them that were particularly pleased with how the Americans were behaving in the country, but almost to a T, the people that I've spoken to from there have insisted that, yes, the Taliban are absolutely going to reopen the terror training camps. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're going to let al-Qaeda, they already have. In fact, we blew up a al-Qaeda leader not long ago at an apartment in Kabul. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, and so this sort of thing, this is going to be a restoration of the 1990s. Um, only this time, the Taliban might be able to pull it off in terms of governing, uh, because they have the backing of China and even Russia. Um, and, uh, you know, both China and Russia have a vested interest in making sure that Afghanistan remains somewhat stable, and they're working with the Taliban. And so um, all of this is to say uh, that uh, we've already lost, and we've already sort of set the stage. Although I will think, I do think it's important to note that there are a smattering of reports that British and American uh, elements remained behind in Afghanistan in small groupings, ostensibly to conduct counterterrorism missions without sort of the watchful eye of inspectors general uh -huh. and, yeah, and yeah. other watchdogs. Yeah. That's unconfirmed. But the point is, is that even with those operations going on, sort of the dark arts, as Cheney would say, um, even with that going on, um, Afghanistan is already becoming a haven yet again, not just for Al Qaeda, but for uh, you know an assortment, a medley of America's rivals, uh, ranging from other terror groups, criminals, international criminals, all the way to, as I noted, China uh, and Russia, and also Iran. Iran is very close now with the Taliban, um, and so you have a real threat um, metastasizing in the heart of uh, Eurasia, and it's an anti-American one. At least they don't have more weapons than they used to, huh? I said, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. you know, uh, talk, yeah. talk. The other thing, there's a lot I wanted to bring up with you. Let me let me move on and get your thoughts on something that took place after we spoke last week, so we didn't get a chance to catch up on it. Uh -huh. And that was the prisoner uh, swap that freed uh, Brittany uh, Grinier for uh, Victor uh, for trading out Victor Bout. Uh, you know, I think I. It came as a surprise to a lot of us. Let me start there right. and ask for your thoughts outwardly. Um, well, it, it, it isn't a surprise to me, only because this administration is the inheritor of the Obama legacy. And if you remember, Obama loved giving up assets to um, 
you know, our enemies. For Remember, Bo Bergdahl, is an example, right? The Bo Bergdahl, no. mm-hmm. although, you know, there was some rumors there that there was more to it than what was being let on. I have yet to have any confirmation. So until I ever see a confirmation, I will assume that this was just President Obama, uh, you know, again, leading from behind and hitting the chicken switch, just as Biden has done and will continue to do. Um, and uh, essentially, this is sort of a repeat of that. Just imagine if um, if Trump, as president, had done this deal, which apparently he was offered to do this deal. And remember, the, the left sat there for four years of his presidency saying that he was a Russian spy. Yeah. And yet every time that this same deal, or similar deal rather, was offered, Trump said no, because he's going to give this uber villain uh, to Russia in exchange for what? Yeah. You know, somebody of lesser value. Granted, it's an American. We want to get our people back. But ultimately, you're talking about releasing, like, the Joker mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, arch villains in Russia. Um, and, and people forget, and I, I'm a little disturbed because I see, again, and I, I have to say this, some of our friends on the right, some of our of our people that you and I both know, tweeting about this in a way that's very bizarre because, um, you know, uh, he gave this this arms dealer as soon as he went back home to Russia. Did this long form interview on RT, their state run news yeah. program, with the the woman who in 2010 the New York realtor who was uh, arrested for being a spy. Right. She was uh, she was a spy for Russia, spying on the United States, and she was ultimately, you know, went back to Russia. But in that interview, he started listing all of the concerns he has about America's domestic situation, about how we're losing our faith in, in Christianity and how he's very sad. And he sounded like a paleoconservative, yeah. and that was clearly programmed to to basically gin up an element of the right against our own side in the war in Ukraine to cast doubt. And I have to remind our friends, what was this guy arrested for right, doing? Right. This guy was captured specifically in Latin America selling weapons, not just to anti-American groups and regimes, but specifically, and I said this on Twitter, and I got a lot of pushback for this, specifically he was arrested because he was selling weapons for Russia to Mexican drug cartels, yeah. who were then turning around and using those weapons to kill Americans and the threatened Border Patrol agents along our southwestern border. This guy was the worst of the worst, and Mr. Biden gave up this guy, and we were still getting intel from this guy. He was still an intelligence asset. He gave up this guy for a WNBA star who didn't deserve to be in prison, but let's face it, in terms of strategic value, what an insane deal. And if Trump had done this, he would have been considered a Russian agent. They would have used this against him to probably oh, yes. impeach him again. Oh yes, there's you know? no question. I, I, I'm going to take a quick break here, but if yeah. I hear you right, I'm going to I'm going to agree with you. One can be a non-interventionist without being pro-Putin, um, right? And 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 it anyway. You and I are going to need to remind <laughs> some of our some of our friends of that over over the next uh, probably couple few years. Uh, ju- ju- yeah, right. Just because Joe Biden is the president doesn't mean we're on the wrong side internationally. We're still America. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. And uh, he and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, Brandon J. Weikert is our guest. Uh, He is the publisher of the Weikert Report, the uh, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. As I mentioned that, 
yeah, talk to me about a story that's not getting um, it, not getting enough attention. Artemis, talk to me about Artemis One. Well, it's it is a success, and I've been very critical of NASA over the years, and I've been specifically very critical of Bill Nelson, my former quote unquote illustrious senator from my state of Florida. Um, but you know, I will give credit where it's due. This is a very important thing that they were able to achieve because until a few months ago. There was a big question mark as to whether Artemis was ever going to get off the ground. Mm-hmm. And Bill Nelson really drove this thing forward. And so, I, you know, he, he should be given credit for this. And much to his credit specifically, I've been very critical the last two years of him because he was he used to say very nice things about China, uh, doing, wanting to do joint missions with them. But the last eight to 12 months, he's really come around to sort of embracing this idea that we are in a space race, a new space race with, with space race with China, if I could speak today, uh, and uh, that NASA is at the tip of that particular sphere, and he wanted to really kind of bring the manned spaceflight program uh, back to its prominence that it hasn't really experienced since the 1970s when we were going to the moon regularly. Um, and so the Artemis mission that they just did, it was an automated mission to test the systems of the lunar return capsule, uh, and so eventually we will use that supposedly to send astronauts back to the moon. So they did a, basically an orbit around the moon and brought it back just to test the systems. It was a success. The test, you know, passed with flying colors. The problem is there was a seven-year gap in between from when they tested the first launch system in 2014 and to when now they're doing this. If you remember in the Apollo program, it was a much tighter timeline, and they were able to do the launch test and then the, the unmanned orbit of the moon test much closer together than we did. So my fear is that, yet again, even though this is a success, it's going to be some lag time between when we actually get people to the moon. And in the meanwhile, China has already made it very clear that they are going to be putting people on the south pole of the moon uh, by the end of this decade, whereas it's sounding like this morning Bill Nelson was talking about uh, sometime in the 2030s that the American astronauts will be returning to create basically a, a manned outpost uh, on the moon. Well, we, we will have lost the moon because the Chinese are already picking. You want us rolling? Moon. You want us rolling on the moon now? I want boots on the moon now, and yeah. there's no reason why there's no reason why we shouldn't be. Uh, we have the technology, we have the capabilities, and this is linked to another story. As I was driving into work to, this morning, I was listening to. Uh, Morning Joe, and they were interviewing uh, the head of the United Arab Emirates space program. And people may not realize that small country actually has a very robust space program. And they just launched their own rover to the moon uh, aboard um, uh, aboard um, the the SpaceX uh, reusable launch vehicle. But I noticed that um, the um, uh, uh, the MSNBC would not admit that it was SpaceX that did this launch. They kept talking about a reusable rocket. And finally, the UAE minister had to say it was a SpaceX huh. rocket. Huh. And, and I think the reason that they were, were so shy about saying this was because Elon Musk has yeah. made himself enemy number one. And so what I was saying on Twitter today is, Whatever you think of the man's politics, and he is by no means a far-right extremist, and this is a, a myth. Whatever you may think of the man's politics, SpaceX is one of the only things consistently keeping the United States in the ongoing space race against China. And if you start going after Musk, and this is what they want to do, 
and you start undermining him and besmirching SpaceX and using that eventually to build some kind of um, popular narrative where the government won't want to use SpaceX anymore, uh, we're going to lose bigly to China in the space race. That company, SpaceX, is the silver bullet right now for us. And so, um, you know, the space policy is yet again in the forefront. It should be, at least. It's certainly in the forefront of our enemies' minds. Uh, and we need all hands on deck to keep us competitive. And it sounds like our administration it wants to play politics at a time when really it's very touch and go whether we're going to be able to get to the moon and hold it before the Chinese do. And that is how we need to be looking at it, holding the moon, because the Chinese want it and the Chinese definitely want to control it exclusively and do to the moon what they've been doing in the South and East China Seas, which is a nightmare waiting to happen. Well, you teed up exactly the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Speaking of Elon Musk, it's, it's, I'm going to take a quick break. It's increasingly odd that we're relying on an uh, immigrant from South Africa to save both America's uh, space program and the principle of free speech. And we'll pick up on that thought with Brandon Weikert when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, our friends at Y-Refi have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time time. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, up to 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm, you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. You can meet with them. They're here, locally based. Uh, Great guys. I know them well. And uh, no sales pitches from them. They just like talking about what they do, which is uh, doing well by doing good. And you can be a part of that. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Uh, Brandon, we were talking about Elon Musk uh, saving um, saving our space program, even if uncredited. Uh, he's saving something else here, too, with this uh, unveiling of uh, unveiling of all the pre-Musked Twitter uh, uh, mensurations and mentations, thinkings, and um, kind of an interesting dualty here. You said the mainstream media is not giving Musk credit for SpaceX. Uh, I saw a report today that combined ABC, CBS, and NBC have done one story, exactly one on uh, what these uh, what these unveilings right. from Ty Eby and Barry Weiss and others are showing. Right. Well, and, it, and this should be, again, par for the course. Um, on the one hand, and maybe this is because I've been ensconced in it for years, none of this is surprising to right. me. None of right. this is, like, earth-shattering to me. It's sort of like proving that the sky is blue most mm-hmm. of the time. It's like, okay, I get it. But I understand why this is controversial. The fact of the matter is our mainstream media people 
genuinely do not understand. I was watching that Monk debate between Matt Taibbi. Yeah, I saw that too. Uh, it's well Murray worth watching. And, yeah, and yeah. Malcolm Gladwell yeah. and uh, Goldberg, Michelle, uh, Goldberg, Michelle Goldberg. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Malcolm Gladwell, I think, was being very honest when he sort of dismissively said, "Are we really going to talk about that? Who cares?" Yeah, and I think that that's indicative of where the mainstream media is. They just they're so unself-aware. They don't realize the, the severity of this. And to be fair, it isn't just them. It's, it's not just the other side. I was at an event um, for Law and Liberty we talked about about four weeks ago. Um, wonderful event, wonderful group of people. But half of, you know, I was on the, I was the lone voice saying that we need to do more to regulate social media because they are infringing on free speech. And the counter was, these are private companies. Who cares? How can you say you're conservative? And my point was, this isn't just another company. The social media is revolutionary in the sense that this is a new form of communication that almost everyone around the world is using. It's not like one of these esoteric brands. This is like this is as important, if not more, than email or telephone. And we regulate at least the telephones because we don't want telephone providers, for example, trying to determine what can and cannot be said across the telephone wire. And so the similar thing is that, you know, we, we're, we're going to have to recognize that if not for one man, Elon Musk, this kind of garbage would still be going on. And you know, as bad as it is at, or was at Twitter, it's even worse at Facebook yep. and Instagram and all these other places yep. that all these other people use. And don't even get me started about TikTok, right. which is an actual Chinese military uh, you know, apparatus, which is designed to corrupt the minds of America's youth. And so my point with all this is basically this, you, that, that these leaks should be the front story of every major news broadcast, of every major newspaper, at least for the next month. Because if you can't see the inherent danger in this, regardless of whether it's being done to the right or the left, the inherent danger to this, then you probably are a totalitarian at heart. Because this is huge. This is actually bigger than the Hunter Biden laptop story, because thus far, let's face it, the Hunter Biden laptop story has kind of been a dud. But the fact of the matter is the, the uh, censorship around it and the fact that the censorship of not only Hunter Biden laptop story, but the censorship of anybody who happened to even slightly disagree, no matter how big of an audience they had, Anybody who happened to slightly disagree with the left-wing consensus were harassed, had their rights impugned, were were impugned, had their character impugned, had their rights infringed upon. And the mainstream media is um, ambivalent at best about this. I'm sorry. This is a huge scandal, and you know it's, it's going on still at these other social media platforms, and that is probably going to get even worse as the left looks for revenge, which they, of course, will. My own theory on why Gladwell can be so smug about it and speaking for the rest of the mainstream media in their, you know, keeping the, the, the dark veil over this thing, my own sense of it is it's because they agree with it. It's, 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 it's much the same way that they, they, they would only attack election denial if it came from Republicans, though the Democrats are the people who taught the world how to deny elections in 2000 and 2004 when they were going after Bush. Right. They agree with it. It's a one-party state to them. That's right. And, and not but, only but, do they agree with it, uh, 
Brandon, you read some of these uh, 20 and 30-somethings. I don't mean to disparage all 20 and 30-somethings, but that's who were censoring your Jay Bhattacharyas and Donald Trumps. Right. Uh, you read some of the stuff they're writing um, in the justification for their censorship. Oh, it's horrendous. It's you, you know, philosophically, they think it's just fine. They think it's right. just they do. fine to have a one-state party or one-party state in this country. Sorry, one-party state. A Chinese colleague of mine years ago said to me, Brandon, we've had our cultural revolution already in China. It didn't end well for us. It's not going to end well for you. Mm. And so I, that has stuck with me since 2011 when that was said to me. Mm. And I'll say one more thing. There was this article in the Wall Street Journal op-ed today that Joe Scarborough was ripping. And it was just so funny because the whole point of the article was that the right wing and the left wing, yes, they have their information silos. They have their bubble. Sure. But if you're a right winger, Basically, you always are going to be forced to have some idea of what the left prefers yep. because the Can't left controls it. the culture, yep. the left controls government, the left controls the schools. And for 20 minutes this morning on that show, Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough, the supposed Republican on the panel, sat there mocking this writer at Wall Street Journal, the whole panel ripping them. And the whole thing was they were talking in this article about how the left is so unself-aware, even though they because they control all of these major centers of power in our culture, that they are completely dismissive of any claims that they are in fact smug, faux superior, that they are in fact um, unself-aware. And so I was listening to this today, and I was laughing because there the left is, and there's our elite on Morning Joe. Completely proving with yep. their words and actions exactly. how unself-aware they are and how dangerous they are. They're the threat to democracy because they don't recognize 74 or 75 million Americans who have a different opinion than they do. They won't recognize them as being legitimate That's right. or having a fair point. And it's and then you pile that on. You you apply that with the. Uh, the, the social media censorship and and all this stuff that's going on right now, going all the way back to Russiagate. This is mm -hmm. what Taibbi was talking about mm -hmm. at that month debate. Mm -hmm. Going all the way back to the lies formulated about Trump. Whatever you think about Trump, he wasn't a Russian spy. <laughs> and it was crazy that that's where they went with it. Yeah. And they went with it and stayed with it for years. And from that kernel of a lie grew this horrible, horrible ecosystem of smugness, censorship, and hatred toward half the country. And here we are today, and Americans' livelihoods are at risk. Americans, you know, ideas are being erased and eradicated. And it's, it's, it's a nightmare. It's almost Soviet-like. It's like we're living in, a, in like a digitized version of Mao's cultural revolution. And, you know, eventually when they start dehumanizing you at the digital level, it's only a few steps away from them coming after you, you know, in the real world. Oh, yeah. No, listen, if you don't have a brain, you're not a human, and they don't think we have a brain worth That's yeah, right. I'm with you. Brandon Weikert, always great checking in with you, brother. I appreciate you, you so much. So does my audience. God bless you. You guys can follow him at, at theweikertreport.com. Get his books anywhere you want. Christmas is coming up. Need some gifts? Brandon Weikert's books would be great ones. I'm Seth. I'll come back with a closing thought. Thanks for spending some of your day with us off uh, help, helping you get uh, the week off to the right start here. Brandon, so good. That monk debate is going to have more and more dividends. Uh, M-U-N-K, if you want to watch it. This was a debate with Matt Taibbi and, um, 
and uh, Douglas Murray against uh, Michelle Goldberg and Malcolm Gladwell on trusting the uh, mainstream media. And Brandon didn't say it. Uh, he, he'd probably agree with it. But the other thing, yes, Malcolm Gladwell, I think, proved to be just smug and unconcerned because his side wasn't the side being censored. The other interesting thing is uh, Michelle Goldberg. If it's not a name you know, that's fine. It, it would worry me if you did in a sense. She's an editor at the New York Times. Um, but, you know, you think the New York Times, you think, oh, fancy, you know, something like that. These, You just put a mic in front of these people. They're not that smart. They're not that smart. There's not a person in the audience that couldn't have spoken better than she did. Not a person. I mean, it's just amazing how much we elevate mediocrity in this country. Just amazing what passes for uh, excellence or even elitism. And maybe there's that, too, in considering some of these decisions that are being made, whether they're being made by 40 and 50 and 60-somethings as much as by 20 and 30-somethings. It's been convenient. I've been guilty of it for blaming a lot of 20 and 30-somethings for their intellectual arrogance or their self-important arrogance and thinking they know better than people like Jay Bhattacharya, who's got an MD and PhD, who they went about censoring on COVID. But you know what? That 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 arrogance, uh, that arrogance of ignorance also afflicts uh, the older uh, generations as well. There's a lot of that there, too. And you'll see it with Gladwell and Goldberg if you watch that debate, which is uh, probably worth your time to get an insight into the left. Uh, I, who used to be on the left, have had a firsthand glance. I got I got uh, training early on how the left thinks. A lot of us who a lot of you who were right from the beginning and never had that um, that wandering salad days period uh, on the uh, on the port side of our politics um, want to see how the left thinks. That's not a bad place to go. Watch those monk debates and UNK, particularly the most recent one with Douglas Murray against Malcolm Gladwell and Matt Taibbi against Michelle Goldberg. Anyway, I am Seth Leibson again. Thanks for starting your week with us. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.